This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. Brace yourselves, there's a lot to deal with here. Scott Owen. Firstly, Raw Fans of Melbourne are going to have your head for that. And Adam Pace. <laughs> it's good to see that you're listening. Starting now. Well, I'll tell you what, that first double header in a long time, I'd forgot just how long of a day it would turn out to be, but. Overall, I think we can say it was a fairly successful Sunday at Suncorp Stadium, for most anyway. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam with you on this dreary Tuesday afternoon as we're recording after the Raw picked up four points across the men's and women's games in their rounds five and six-ish games uh, at the spiritual home of football allegedly in this state but it wasn't without controversy let's get into it adam how was your sunday long it was a long (laughs) long day but uh yeah it's good to see football uh good see good to see the women actually uh back at suncorp they generally sort of you know play and the peripheries have more sort of home grounds than than uh than the the wandering folk and uh and yeah look it's it's good to see them actually play a game at suncorp stadium Scott, how are you going? It has been a very long time since I've played at Suncorp Stadium. They have had a lot of grounds, Adam's right. I'm good, James, by the way. And it's not the longest time I've spent at Suncorp this year. What are you complaining about? That's only 50% <laughs> of what we were there for on grand final day. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think I had more big screen time that other day, so that made it a little bit more bearable. It's all about you, isn't it? Have all we just about met? James. <laughs> Hey, I, I get told I'm a world-class narcissist. I've got to live up to my reputation. I'll vouch for that. I will vouch for that. How are you, James? Well, hmm. Yeah, pretty good. It's uh, been an interesting last couple of days. But, um, well, we've got a bit to cover in this show. So what do you say we get into it? And we're going to talk about the games themselves first rather than the issues around the periphery of said games. And let's start chronologically with the A-League men's match. And it finished 2-1 to the Raw. And I'm glad you actually remembered to put that in the run sheet. Because I was all set to talk about the 2-0 win for the Raw. Because Alexander Shuzhnar's 93rd minute header was very much an afterthought, Adam. It was. It was consolation. Uh, and I think they'll be a little bit uh, disappointed the Raw to concede that. But it was one of those freak occurrences where uh, Aaron McKenniff's uh, header just absolutely cannoned off the uh, crossbar and uh, Alex Luznar basically just stuck a foot out and it, it went into basically empty net so uh, yeah but uh, all, all damage as far as the Raw goes they 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 clearly were the better team for probably 80 of the 90 minutes uh, in, in the first half a sec- and and then they were able to actually you know, put, put a couple on the board to, to put it Put it away, but yeah, a few anxious moments late after that consolation goal went in. Yeah, okay, so I, I was about to ask Scott uh, the question that you've already answered, but it's fair to say that the rule were good value for the win as a better side on the day. Yeah, I think so. I mean, from they started fast really well again, didn't they? I mean, it could have been two or three nil in the first couple of minutes with the chances that the had. They didn't, hit, they didn't hit the post in the first five minutes. Had another couple of really good chances. So they started strong on the top of, but they didn't get the goal. In the first half, when they did get the goals in the second half, they were well, well deserved. And I mean, Alan Stadges, I think we'll hear, I don't think we'll hear from him on the show, but he did admit that Perth were pretty soundly beaten on the day, and I do think it was a fair result. Raw were very good. 
Well, yeah, it's an interesting stat I found uh, before I did the pregame thing with Hinksy. Perth haven't won a, a home, uh, haven't won an away game since October 2022, and that was away to the Mariners, which uh, it's a game that the Raw should have won based on that stat alone. And to their credit, they overcame what was a pretty haphazard start, well, not haphazard, disjointed uh, start where they lost Corey Brown after 12 minutes with what looked to be a pretty serious hamstring injury. And I, I was watching the game with you guys, and I think we all had the same thought of, geez, that really, really does suck for him. It did, and look, you could tell it was a bad one because he didn't actually go down until the play had stopped and it was very, very clear early on in that moment that he'd done something pretty significant because he pretty much signalled to to his teammates and the opposition and the referee that something had gone wrong and I think it's a, I think it's a hamstring injury and it might be an unfortunate one where he's out for another few weeks, which is really rough for Corey Brown because remember, this was his first game back playing in Brisbane since he's had his time off. So first game back, 10 minutes on the field. Now he's going to be out for at least a couple weeks. I don't know how long. So really, really unfortunate. And it does really hurt the Roy because, again, it's another player they won't have available from that best 11 for a sustained period of time. But it didn't help the fluidity because he was actually quite good in that first few minutes going forward down the left as well. It had to had to change the way they were doing things. Zavala was quite good as well when he was on the right, but it certainly didn't help. Matters James and Corey Brown going off so early. Yeah, and that was a really frustrating thing for it as well, knowing the backstory of the last two years as well. Um, I just actually had a thought. Would that have been his first game at Suncorp since returning to the Raw, or did he play one or two, as my son just chimes in in the background, echoing how much it uh, sucks? I think um, he might have played one or in early 2020, but it wouldn't have been many. Yeah. Okay, so that... Well, that's Def- definitely his first game since he, d- he didn't he didn't feature in the Sydney game. So definitely since his return, it's his first game. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, so that's you know a, a really sucky way for it to unfold, and it is a big blow to a position that we've been saying the last few weeks is already quite thin. And now I feel like you can get by with relying on one. We'll talk about this a little bit more later, but it did sort of force a bit of a makeshift uh, operation because he had Anthony Burke Gilroy coming on to play the majority of the match a week and a half after signing on for the Raw, two and a half weeks after signing on for the Raw. Jacking it, still working his way back to fitness as well. You've got enough there to get by, but yeah, that that, that could be an area of concern for the time being. A um, couple of goals disallowed for offside. I know we were a little bit disappointed because we thought Zabala had uh, buried his chance at him. Yeah, but uh, clearly offside. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, with the the uh, linesmen uh, being very, very gun-shy, whether it be their, by, by regulation, by guideline, I should say, or, you know, or just they just plain missed it. Uh, yeah, the flag didn't go up for a long time, but it, it was clearly offside. And even the um, Perth Glory uh, goal that was disallowed, uh, even Jared Colucci, he was well offside. So a little... A little, little sort of, you know, finger poke at, at VAR as we as we like to do, you know, and well not actually VAR, just the the guideline of the the uh, the assistant referees just just not bothering to um to uh, to flag offside on what uh, I would think were clear and obvious. That's what they're instructed to do, though, Adam. They're instructed yeah. to keep the flag down until the play ends and then put the put the flag up. I mean, they were consistent both ways. I mean, both were 
very much clearly offside, but it would have been a great moment for Luis Abalo, who actually was really good going forward, as I said earlier, James. Down that right-hand side, he was one of the raw standouts, actually, in terms of getting forward and getting involved in creating opportunities down that side. He had a really good game. Well, that right side in general for the raw, I thought was impeccable all afternoon. Zabala and Henry Hall uh, and Mila Yuznich, they were swapping from time to time there, but I thought that right side of the raw was probably their strongest point because of the way that they had that link-up play working at them. Perth Glory's defence were playing with fire uh, early on the fir- in the first half. The amount of space that Nikola Mulyuznic was been given down that that right wing was is almost it was almost criminal. How much space and a couple of times as well that he was able to to step inside and get get sights on goal. So the fact that he I think he'd be, he'd actually be a little bit disappointed he couldn't actually make more of it. But uh, yeah, some of the some of the space that he was given was yeah it was I, I don't know I I definitely think that you know it was a case of his as as the as the common joke is weak he is really really fast and he but he also shows that as well that how quickly but when he is when he's allowed to dribble on the ball how quickly he can get up onto onto his man on his defender and somehow he is very very tough to stop well yeah that was actually something that i did want to bring up from sunday as well we've actually discovered uh nikola miller full name it's nikola john miller he's quite fast you know he didn't need to be on sunday either with the amount of space perhaps we're giving him but he's really really mm. quick and he, again, he's one of the players who kind of flies under the radar a little bit in terms of people focus on Berenger and O'Shea and Waddingham and some of the and Henry Hall, Henry Hall because they're the players who are contributing on the score sheet. But his work is really, really important in allowing them all to do that, drawing away defenders and making space for them. He's a really important part of the attacking unit. Yeah, and that's something that I, I feel like he's finding a much more comfortable role for where he is right now. Um, playing that uh, playing that sort of role in the uh, the supporting act you know he's, he's happy to get in do the dirty work and I, you just remember the last few years when he was being asked to lead the line because there were no healthy strikers or something it wasn't playing into his strengths uh, the way that what Ross Aloisi is asking him to do is uh, we should talk about the goals as well uh, Henry Hoare again opens the scoring at Suncorp Stadium he is a uh, looking very, very good this year, and I'm starting to worry we might not be seeing him in a raw jersey for uh, much longer if he keeps going at this rate. It was a finish from a tight angle. That was that was a hell of a finish, Scott. It was a very good good finish, and also a really well-worked goal once again. And you're right, Henry Hall's form in front of goals here is absolutely spectacular. I think it's three in the league and five in all competitions he's got, so he is on an absolutely fantastic start to the year, and Again, he is one of the most informed attacking players in the competition, and he's not getting the credit for it that other players in other states down south are getting for their really good form. I think Henry Hall deserves more credit for what he's doing. He is, he is probably the Raw's best player so far this year. Him or Jay O'Shea, maybe Berenger be the top three at the moment in terms of who've been the most consistent performers. But Henry Hall has taken another really big step forward once again, and that's what we said in the season preview that he needed to do take this step forward and be a more consistent contributor on the score sheet week in and week out for this team to progress and so far he's certainly doing that and again it's a big reason why they got so far in the cup as well I, I just wanted to say on what um, a phrase you use there Scott sort of jumped out at me Adam isn't it nice that we've actually got to think and debate for a second who is the Raw's best player this year 
yeah, it's quite quite refreshing that uh, it is that there's multiple contributors, but they're doing it at a uh, at a high level. And uh, yeah, the obvious ones are the likes of Henry Hoare, J. O'Shea, but uh, let's not forget sort of the um, I guess the, the cameo stars at the moment, like uh, Nikola Mulyuznich and a uh, Florin Berenger. They're, they're certainly uh, putting in. And I know, I know Ross Alawisi, especially for the the experienced players he really really does speak so highly of them and their, and their contribution not only as as you know players and their their ability but also as well their their ability as leaders and it, it's it's almost like they've got almost got a a perfect mix of experience and and youth and let, let's not forget, forget tom tommy waddingham who played his first 90 90 minutes in uh in a league men's football so and he he had he had a good game as well obviously you know, when you're the when you're the number nine it's it's gonna be a lot of lot of donkey work as well and you know sort of being a half a step you know one way or another and it, and it could have been a very very different day but look he still he he a young player at 18 getting through 90 minutes. I think that, that that's an achievement in itself at the moment. Just on Waddingham as well, because, you know, Jay O'Shea's goal, great, but I wanted to highlight one one moment from Waddingham that I think probably my the thing that I like most from what I've seen from in the A-League this season, it was late on in the game where he went to close down Cameron Cook, the glory goalkeeper, and he actually blocked the... I uh, blocked the pass attempt, got the ball back, and actually fashioned a shot. I think he took it off. Yeah. So he took it off somebody, and actually saw some sort of tangible reward for his closing down work. And that, to me, I liked as much as seeing him uh, score that goal the other week. Absolutely. Look, look well, we'll talk about the playing service later. But on a heavy pitch, a young player to run through ninety minutes the way that he did was really, really impressive. Again, he had a couple of really good chances as well, and. You could see when the subs were being made late on, every time that the sub Bob was going up, he's looking over, he's like, this better not be me, I don't want to come off here. I think he really wanted to play out that 90 minutes and get that experience of a full 90 minutes and now build. Because, again, I think every game he's come off between 60 and 75 minutes pretty much consistently. So to get the full 90 minutes was clearly a big deal for him and will help him going forward. I don't want to overlook Joe O'Shea's goal in his all-round game, though, because he was spectacular in this game. He's worked for the for the first goal as well was really, really important. And not for the first time where he's not going to be credited with the goal or the assist, but his work leading up to it is what led to it. He's having a really big impact and it's what we were hoping we would see from him. Now that he's been freed up with other players in that midfield who can do some of the work alongside of him, he's not being asked to create everything all the time. He can pick his moments more and he's having a much bigger impact now that there's other people who can help him in that part, on that, in that part like a field. I didn't actually realise it until you brought it up, but you're right. I'm noticing him less in games, but I'm noticing him. I'm noticing him less often in games, but I'm lo- notice noticing what he does more this season, Scott. So I, yeah, good point. Almost, I try to make one a week if I can. <laughs> it's it's almost quantity. It's it's quality over quantity with uh, Joe Shea and he and his his contributions at the moment where. Where last season he was pretty much made to do everything, and and while and while he did do a lot for for in in a side that sort of yeah was middle of the pack, I think that the his you'll see more sort of quality as far as what he's doing, and and they and it is is making players you know like a uh, Henry Hall, uh, you know, a really really you know a a big big sort of time player at this level in this league. For sure. All right. 
haven't had a chance to speak to him, by the way, but I would imagine he's absolutely loving having some like Flo Berenguer in that midfield alongside of him as that dual creative link just to play someone to work off, which he has not had in his five years here previously. I think they have brought in players with that idea of sort of uh, being that dual creative player, but for whatever reason, it never worked out, whether it was a case of Marcel Canardi not being able to get on the pitch or possibly not being any good for all we know. But yeah, he's actually got that proven A-League creator with him as well. All right, that was our views on the game. Let's hear from the head coach of the Brisbane Raw, Ross Aloisi. This is what he had to say after the match. I thought that the players were very brave to play the football that we tried to play out on that field because it's difficult to play the football that we wanted to play out there today. Um, and before the game, you know, I explained to him yesterday when I knew exactly what uh, the pitch was going to be like, there's no excuses. We try and play our football to the best we can and create as many goal-scoring opportunities, which we, I mean, we had something like 23 shots at goal and I don't know how many opportunities that we created, seven on target, seven blocked. So there's 14 already. Um, and to be totally honest with you, I'm very, very um, proud of that playing group to go out there today and try and play, knowing that they will make mistakes. But I told them, you make a mistake trying to play the football that we do, I'm there for you. I'll stand by your side. There's no one that will be able to criticise because this is what we want and this is what we try to do and, and we got the result for it. What can you say then, Jay Shay? Ross, how much you enjoyed coaching Jay and what he did today? Determination to set up a goal and beautiful spot. Yeah, no, 100%. And I said to him straight after the game, I said that goal there was his because it was a desperation to go win that ball. And he was close enough and that's the way we played. We was trying to stay connected. Um, but, Honestly, Jay, and I've, I've said it to him, you know, the guy's a superstar. You know, but I don't understand why we continue to put up with what we're putting up with. You know, they don't complain because I don't allow them to, but they've got all the right to complain. So, Jay, Nevzi, Tom, everyone, Flo, they're all stars because they get on with their work. And it's, I, I, I can't express how much joy I have coming into training every single day and knowing that those players there are enjoying it and becoming better footballers. And then, you know, we work hard all week and, and unfortunately we have to go and play on a surface that, um, you know, it's no one's fault. It's a concert. So, and that's where we're at in, in football. And that was Ross Aloisi after the Raw's 2-1 win over the Perth Glory. That was a win that took the Raw up to fourth on the table, one point behind Western Sydney Wanderers, who, funnily enough, they're playing this Friday, as well as the Wellington Phoenix. And also level on points with, I've got to be honest, surprise packets Adelaide. Um, that I'm sure I've already used this early on uh, in the season, but my takeaway from the other A-League matches, uh, I've got to say Adelaide. They're good. I thought they would fall apart, but they're clearly not. Scott, what was your takeaway? I, ha- I have to take the easy way out here. I only watched one other game this weekend, and it was the derby on Saturday night. I thought the Wanderers also looked very, very good. They were well-deserving of their win, actually, for mine, and they look like they might finally be living up to what we all think they have in terms of the talent. We've said the last couple of years, Adam coined them the off- the champions of the off-season. Well, it looks like they might actually have been turning some of that form into the season itself because they look very, very good. Adam, what was yours? 
I'll also focus on the Sydney Derby, but the winning goal uh, for for the Wanderers, Zach Sapsford, uh, a young player who came through the Sydney FC Academy and then sort of found it out west. But more so the point that a young player that in, you know, scoring the winning goal in a big game, uh, that's almost what legends are made of. And you, you would expect you know, to, to have a... A pivotal moment like that in your career. Hopefully, he can go on with it, and um, certainly, he he do, he does look like a pl- another player in this league that has got plenty of promise. I know, I know, it's sort of been the under the radar story of the last few years, but there are some damn good young players coming through across the league uh, right now. You think of well, Adelaide is probably the prime example. The Mariners have done a good job identifying and developing young talent as well. We've sung the praises of Brisbane's Youth Br- youth Brigade and Sydney FC's um, academy seems to be paying huge dividends for the Wanderers, so that's really good news uh, for them as well. It's good news for Graham Arnold and Tony Gustafson if he's going to stay in the role as well. There's really good young players coming through across the A-Leagues. Plenty of great young players for them to choose. For sure. All right, now we're going to wrap up the A-League men's segment with our player of the year votes and it is my turn to do the men's votes and I gave three points for Henry Hall star of the show again two points for Louis Zabala I thought that was his best game of the season by a long way and thought you know he handled everything that was asked for him quite well and one point for Jay O'Shea because well he, he looked good in the center of the pitch and scored what more can you ask for him then there was a very frantic I want to say 42 minute turnaround uh, after the slightly delayed finish to the men's game before the A-League women were in action. It was the first time uh, the Raw women have been back at Suncorp Stadium since 2019, I believe. Scott, you um, would be the one that has the uh, dates on that. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it might actually be the first time back at Suncorp since the day they won the Premiership. Oh, I don't point. know if they've been there since then. It's been a long time since they've played... At Suncorp Stadium, it was great to see them back there, but a one-all draw against Adelaide, not the result they would hope for, but an improvement under Alex Smith in game two. It certainly was, but I've got to be honest, like that start, I don't know, I'm going to assume it was down by and large to the pitch and maybe a little bit of the rushed preparation where everything had to be done on such a tight turnaround with to the second precision, but boy, Adelaide could have easily been up 3-4-0 early on and you could just see the players were they were a bit slow out of the blocks Adam yeah they uh, in racing polls they, they missed the start and they missed the start badly um, yeah and I think they also had a bit to do uh, Adelaide seemed to come with a plan to really sort of pressure uh, Leah Scarpelli and uh, Jenna McCormick at the back and it was actually it actually really uh, it sort of paid dividends and uh, Mariah Lee uh, was able to score basically basically uh, passed through I believe by Emily Hodgson uh, off from a throw in and uh, Mariah Lee just basically burned right past uh, Jenna McCormick in uh, defence rounded uh, on rushing Jordan uh, Jordan Silkwitz and scored what was a very, very good goal uh, to open proceedings. Yeah, and you could just see, like, Adelaide's game plan was pretty clear, and I know they hadn't been that good this season, but it was one of those moments pre-game where I just sort of had that bad feeling that Adelaide were ready to play in that one as well, and they they really came out with, um, I would say, a, a statement of intent early, and 
probably would have felt like they should have been up by a lot more, Scott. They certainly could have been up by a lot more if they'd been able to convert a couple of their earlier chances. They all were a bit shaky at the back. I think also with Adelaide, from their perspective, they were pretty average against Sydney at home the week before, so they they were clearly set for a big bounce back on the road to try and kick-start their season, because so far that it hasn't gone the way they would have... Hopefully, you mentioned in the men's, they've been a surprise package. In the women's, they probably haven't been in a good way, the surprise package. So they probably want to kick-start their season with a nice result here in Brisbane. And look like they were on their way to getting it, didn't they, until a really nice bit of play between the two Americans, Leah Scarpelli and Mia Corbin. Fantastic finish from Mia Corbin there to get get that got, get that equaliser. And then from there, the Raw did try and did dominate the play and control things, but just not enough to create that, that goal to get the winner. But... The equaliser was absolutely spectacular, wasn't it? The ball in was brilliant, but the finish was something else. You've just jumped about three points on uh, the run sheet there. I've got to get in here because I imagine by the time you get back to me, we'll, we've gone through that, so I'm just getting in early. Um, yeah, well, because a question I wanted to ask on that as well, and it sort of builds on what we were talking about last week with the Raw's slow start. How much of that do you think is just down to the coaching change and just adapting to what, you know, the, what Alex Smith is asking them to do? Because for me, the the differences between Smith and McPherson are already pretty evident in terms of shape, setup, and responsibilities. And it seems like right now there are some habits that would have been drilled into the players that they're maybe having a little bit of trouble breaking, which, again, is to be expected. And it's what happens when you make a coaching change mid-season, Scott. It is. And look, we spoke to Alex Smith, who we'll hear from in a moment, but you mentioned the change of shape. That was, I asked him that question, was it down to injury last week to Chelsea Blissett or is this the way he wants the side to play going forward he said no this is the way I want the side to play this was the direction he was always going to take it with the the 4-3-3 shape it's the way we know he played against Peninsula Power but that was clearly something that he was going to bring in at some point and this was the opportunity for him to do it again I thought it was actually more effective more players up the field gave them more bodies to press more uh, more people in the attacking third to five combinations and more of a threat so on first evidence it worked quite well yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it may have been a little bit of necessity. Uh, obviously, we, we did sort of uh, discuss uh, with Chelsea Blissett's season, uh, season-ending injury that how is that going to shape uh, the squad, given that it's only really one specialist fullback left, and that, that being Tegan Thompson, which meant that Holly McQueen uh, has has you know, basically she's become the default uh, right fullback. And and it, for me, it was actually a bit evident, especially early. I, I, I sort of felt that um, that Holly was tending to be very very narrow as far and and as far as you know, play more as the as the third sort of centre back rather than being the uh, the, the uh, right fullback. So I think that that's something that she's going to have to adapt adapt to. But um, yeah, it certainly was a deliberate uh, thing that. Uh, that uh, that Alex Smith is trying to implement They're that now that traditional four at the back rather than the the th- three centre backs and the uh, two wing backs under Gareth McPherson. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, Scott, you've already touched on this as well, but the Raw's equaliser. I don't think I've seen a better assist for a goal in a very long time than uh, what Leah Scarpelli provided for Mia Corbin because that ball was inch perfect. You. I've watched the replay because from where I was sitting watching the women's game, I didn't actually see just how perfect that delivery had to be to beat the defender at the top of the 18, or was it on the penalty spot, and then have enough bend on it to reach Corbin without going out. 
that that was phenomenal. And I think, you know, with all due credit to Corbin, the setup was better than the finish. Yeah, it was. The setup was absolutely... The finish was good, but the setup was something else. I mean, that was that ball is probably the best I've seen from anyone this season, and any of the goals were all scored. They scored a lot of goals to crosses, James, this year. The amount, the amount of chances with the men that Waddingham was scoring from cutbacks and crosses. This is the best ball I've seen this year. It was absolutely spectacular and a very well-deserved goal. So just starting to get back into the game as well at that point. They had a bit of bit of spell of control and dominance, and they were rewarded with that with that fantastic bit of play between. The two Americans. It was good, good to see the Americans combining on Thanksgiving, James. It certainly was, and uh, I'm sure they would have shared a turkey dinner or something. Actually, they probably would have done it on Thursday, since that is the actual date of Thanksgiving. But anyway, that was enough to equalise. And I have to admit, I thought from there the Raw were going to go on with it, but Adelaide were able to find a way to hold out Adam, and it went to the break equal second half. Not really uh, as many chances, it felt like. No, there's only one real chance uh, about 10 minutes in where um, where Sean Fryer was able to get clear. But, uh, uh, but yeah, pretty much uh, was a, uh, picked out. Ali Grove who parried and then... Um, sorry, actually it wasn't that. It was uh, it came, the cutback to Holly Palmer and uh, and it was blocked by by Ali Grove. Who I thought actually a former Raw keeper had a very, very good game. But... Uh, but after that, it was really not much uh, to speak about as far as chance. I think the I think the conditions. I think you know. I think it's, it's sort of caught up with both sides, and it really sort of it sort of petered out as far as it, it became a, a real arm wrestle. And I think by that point, I think uh, both teams were pretty much satisfied with one point each. Although it yeah, was Holly Palmer had a couple of chances, James. Also, Mia Corbin played through a ball for Sean Fry who had a shot as well. So they did have a couple of openings in the game but just not not enough to build sustained pressure to put enough pressure on on Adelaide's defense to get the winner yeah and um it was a bit of a bruising second half as well with a couple of uh, injuries including and this feels like a very odd phrase but I'm going to run with it anyway a history making concussion in the A-League women because it uh resulted in the first as far as we're aware concussion uh sub rule being used uh, where Alana Yanchevsky was able to return to the pitch to replace the con- concussed Chrissy Panagaris. And, uh, yeah, because all the outfield players on the bench had been subbed on. Personally, as regular listeners will know, I'm a big fan of chaos, chaos so I would have much rather have seen the reserve keeper uh, subbed on, but unfortunately uh, my, my wants and needs were secondary to putting an outfield player out to play an outfield role, Scott. They were, unfortunately for you. We did get clarification from this after the game. It was It's a case where if you have used all the three windows in your subs, you can bring on a uh, sub in that way to do that for one concussion sub. But you have to do it there and then. You can't leave it. You have to do it there and then. So that's why they were able to do it. It's the first time I've seen that in the A-League, I think. But I've seen it a few times in the old National Youth League. Not necessarily for concussion. But remember the old rule where everyone had to play 30 minutes? You had to use every sub by the hour mark. Like when you had injuries, been. thank goodness that isn't a bit. Hopefully they bring back the youth league. Don't bring back that rule. <laughs> but you used to have, used to James, if you got an injury after that fact, a player who had been subbed off was able to come back on because you had to burn all your subs so early you couldn't hold one back in the event of an injury. So it's happened in Australian football before, but I think this is the first 
in the A-League's men and women that it's happened and it's a common sense rule really it's a, it's a, as concussion has become more more of a focus in sport rules have been made to allow for the ability to take out players who have, have picked up a concussion injury I think it, it's logical and it's good to see a rule exist and Adelaide have that bit of history James where they can say they're the first to use it well everyone's got to make history somehow uh, Scott while we're just here, are you able to do your player of the year votes? I can. I'll, I'll keep it quick. Uh, three for Sean Fryer, two for Mia Corbin, and one for Leah Scarpelli. All right. Now, um, quick takeaway from around the other A-League matches before we get to the Alex Smith audio, just because uh, I want to sort of use that part to dovetail into our next discussion point. Uh, from around the A-League women, I've got a say that newcastle canberra game was so much fun to catch up on uh four three to newcastle in the end bolden van egmond just just a lot of fun really and sometimes it's nice to have that on a sunday afternoon uh just high scoring end-to-end football adam what was your takeaway it's funny you mentioned that because that's uh the again that's the game that i sort of uh look at as well and uh Although uh, one one young star in, uh, in Holly McNamara is on the shelf for the season, I think there's another. Uh, unfortunately, she's not eligible for the tools, but there's the Milojevic. I may get that right one day. Um, yeah, she <laughs> she looks like another young star uh, in the making. Another two goals uh, for Canberra and something about McKellar Park and a lot of goals down there so far this season. Alright, and Scott? Yeah, I'll keep it the same game as well, but it's the impact that Emily Van Gogh is having on that whole Newcastle side. Getting the best of some of the other really good players they've got, like Serena Bolden in that game, getting a brace as well. So not only is Emily Van Gogh on the score sheet herself, she's getting the best out of the really good players that Newcastle have, and that's going to be a big catalyst for them over the next few weeks to see just how much they can climb the table. I think they're in seventh now, so they could make a real, real charge up the table and be a genuine final strip with her pulling the strings in midfield we've seen Zinnia do it before in this competition it looks like she's off to a fantastic start once again for sure alright now the raw 1-1 draw with Adelaide let's hear what Alex Smith had to say after the match Alex one all draw here at Suncorp against Adelaide what are your thoughts on that match very difficult given the playing so so matching out there um, yeah I thought uh, I thought the girls played uh, played very well uh, apart from a little little patch there in the first half we um, gave, basically gave them a, a goal so other than that created a, created a lot of chances and you know another day we, we put a couple of those away and um, different story you got the goal back this week after not being able to show last week is that one of the positives to take out of the game that you were able to get the equaliser yeah for sure you know the girls it, it's a good group it's a resilient group um, you know I just think the amount of chances we created for the, for the game uh, and, and really clear cut uh, good chances um, that's, that's most pleasing for me and and uh, obviously changed the system up a little bit um, and the structure and, and that seemed to work quite well so um, yeah pleased um, disappointed not to get the three points but um, but pleased uh, with, 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 the, with the effort and the performance It's been nice you had to change the formation was that down to some of the injuries you've got in the squad moment, or is that just the way you want to play going forward in that in that different back four formation um, Yeah that's the way I like to play so you know more people hire up the pitch um, and you know as, as I said I thought it uh, thought it quite worked quite well um, girls seem to take it on board and, and you know we've only had two or three sessions this week so so from that point of view it was, it was pleasing 
another late injury, unfortunately, having Kaya Stephenson. Any idea how she's eased? It looks like she could be out for a while. Yeah, I'm just going to go uh, have a chat with the uh, have a chat with the docs now. So, um, unfortunate again. That's that's two and two games for me as, as head coach already. So, um, I, I don't know any more information. As, as soon as I do, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get something out. Yeah, the results haven't gone your way so far, but the performance has been okay. Is this international break now come at a good time for you to really get a couple of weeks of the playing group, maybe freshen some bodies up and start, start implementing exactly what you want the side to look like going forward? Yeah, for sure. Um, as I said, we've only had two or three sessions working on these, you know, these new structures and, and, and uh, you know, sort of different roles and responsibilities. So this, this two-week break gives us uh, you know, a real chance to, to work on um, you know, what we're, what we're going to do moving forward. But um, definitely a performance to build on. Uh, I, I'm much, I'm, I'm much more pleased uh, today than I was after last week. So, um, you know, definitely something to build on, and, and we'll go from there over the next two weeks. And that was Alex Smith, and he, he uh, gave his thoughts after his second game in charge. Now, two things I want to just discuss in generalities about the day. The first, a very, very positive thing. I thought the Indigenous kits, uh, the raw men and women, or actually looked really, really good. I was bit, you know, 50-50 on them based on the initial photos, but actually seeing them out on the pitch, they they looked like really, really good football jerseys. So um, I thought it was a great initiative as well, having uh, that the doubleheader themed that way. And yeah, I thought they looked quite good. Do you guys have anything to add on that? Uh, me personally, I would like to have seen this little more, a little bit more orange, a little bit more personalised. I know it, it was it was um, sponsored by the Truth and Treaty uh, Board in Queensland, and and like I said, they, and they did a fantastic job explaining the story, explaining the significance of their logo. Uh, but as we've seen, and when we see it, you know, with NADOC Week in in football Queensland, that some of the kits that we see that celebrate Indigenous football are absolutely stunning and to be honest i would love to see this uh spread to to uh other to to the pretty much uh, league wide i think that you can have a lot of fun when i say fun it is a very serious topic but i mean as well that there are a lot of creativity a lot of indigenous artists out there you know to get behind their club and design a kit put a meaning behind it and actually make it theirs because while it was you know for, for mine, that, that was my only thing is that you know, being a black kit, um, it did, you can pretty much put you slap on anyone's uh, badge and call it theirs. But cert, but certainly you know, but that's that's a very very small gripe in what was you know I think a very very good cause of meaning. Scott, yeah, I don't have much to add on. I agree with what Adam was saying. It would have been one of the great things about the NADOC Quick kits in football Queensland NPL competition is the stories that get told around it. And I would like to get a little bit more of that out of it, but I thought the kit looked great. For sure. Alright, that was good. Now we have to get into the not-so-good, and you guys sort of uh, touched on it a little bit in the women's recap, but the conditions on the day. First of all, a bit like being down there uh, pitch side with Hinksy for pre-game for the men's and women's, it was stinking out there. It, it wasn't overly hot, but it was just stupidly muggy, and you know, that would have explained why, you know, there might have been a little bit of a fade out from all four teams involved there. But the biggest factor is the pitch. It was shocking. Like, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You could see the glory defenders slipping, which I, I've got to be I kind of liked the uh, raw wingers knowing full well that when the glory players were coming back 
at full steam, they would lose their balance. So using that as a way to cut inside, but but I I you know I get that I'm probably being a little bit hypocritical here, saying that you know we get a bit precious about the state of pitches here in this country, expecting everything to be a carpet like the Emirates Stadium. But Jesus, that was that was horrific. Like even by a league standards, it wasn't the worst I've seen at Suncorp Stadium. I remember a game in late 2008. I'm pretty sure. I think that one. Uh, would have been the worst, or it might have been after U2 in 2010, but like, out there as well, it was pretty much just mud. There was slipping, sliding, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that the referees actually passed it fit to play, although, again, you've got the PR angle to consider with that as well, Adam. Yeah, uh, yeah it's it was a source of, I think, a lot of talk, uh, both... Both both coaches uh, did touch on, especially uh, Ross Elwood and Alan Stajic. Uh, we did, we obviously didn't speak to the women's coaches, but I'm well. We spoke to Alex Smith. We didn't uh, we didn't speak to Adrian Stenter, but I think both. In, fa- in fact, it was I believe a um, Adelaide staff member that actually put it put it you know went sent that clip viral about how bad it was after the after the men's game that they even even prompted uh the pfa to get involved as far as they putting up a statement me personally i'm a yeah i think it's a little bit feigned outrage way after the fact from the pfa which is which is carbon which is pretty much you know mo for them but they do they do raise a point and that that it's that there are standards and at some point uh, you, you, there, there's a minimum standard that you shouldn't fall below, and I think that most people would say that that pitch, um, that that pitch would be be below standards. Yeah, sorry, I'm just trying to get Scott to fix up his uh, microphone. It had just gone up under his glasses, so uh, if you just hear any crackling on the audio, that was why. <laughs> but I think my apologies. That's okay. I figured it was better for people to hear you uh, and deal with this rather awkward thirty seconds. Uh, instead of having your voice very, very faint for the next 20 or so minutes. It, it, it certainly would help. So thank you very much for that. Now, where were we up to, sir? Uh, your thoughts on the pitch from your vantage point. I feel like every record come on this show at the moment, I'm having to have a go at the playing surface. I mentioned Ballymore last week wasn't great. As you said, James, this was worse. And you were out there for the pre-game stuff with Hinksy, so you've got first-hand experience of being out there and exactly how bad it is and Adam's right, both Ross Aloisi and Alan Stadjic were very strong in what they had to say. Those quotes have gone out there pretty publicly around the place. In fairness and credit to Alex Smith, he didn't want to use it as an excuse in any way whatsoever. He kind of left it alone, didn't want to say anything about it, but it was not very good at all. And I think if you don't call it out now and really criticise it, you're accepting it and letting it go ahead in the future. And the Raw do have, well, Cycle Stadium does have another concert after this home game on Friday night, there's another one in February. There does need to be a little bit more work done around how they get it up to speed. And I've seen people going after the Suncorp Stadium groundsman. That's not right. Don't don't have a go at the groundsman. He's out there doing the best he can with the circumstances he's been provided. He's not the one who's out there saying, oh, let's have a concert on. He's just the person who has to try and get the playing field back up to standard after the fact. So leave... Leave the Suncorp same ground staff alone. You've seen what they can do when they've got time to present a really good playing service at the World Cup. You have, what, a week to try and get this right, and the weather hasn't been helpful. So it was unfortunately predictable, but it was nowhere near 
the standard of a playing field you would hope for for any professional sport, let alone, again, a football where the field does need to be of a certain standard to allow the ball to flow on the ground naturally. For sure. But I I think I said this joke to you guys during the men's game as well, where I think there were a couple of challenges that dug up the pitch more than a super rugby scrum. Which if, if it was, it should. Yeah, so I, I was just going to say as well, this sort of dovetails into what has been the other long-standing issue surrounding football in Australia, and that is, quite frankly, the facilities. Look, Suncorp Stadium is a world-class venue. It is arguably, well, you know, I think you could still make a case it is one of, if not the best, rectangular stadium going around. I think Allianz Stadium after the rebuild might have something to say about that, but for the purpose that it serves... It is as good as it gets. And even with just under 10,000 in attendance on um, Sunday for the for the men's game and I think 3,000 was the officially announced crowd for the women's, the sound still reverberates around there. But this is what, this is what we were asking for when everyone said, let's go back to Suncorp. And this is what you said you were willing to accept as fans. If you weren't happy going to Redcliffe and demanded that they come back to Suncorp, this is what you are signing up for. It is a multi-use venue and you're accepting that you're going to be playing on substandard pitches. Now, I know um, Dolphin Stadium, I forget who's what it's called now, Morton Daly, KO, whatever. The Mayor of Morton Bay Stadium. Yeah, the Adam Stadium. But I know it wasn't always perfect up there. It you know, was pretty uh, shocking after like the heavy rain. But by and large, it was a surface that was at the very least acceptable if not you know functional for the ball being zipped around what we saw on sunday wasn't and i think we're going to be seeing those issues popping up over the next few weeks over the next couple of months as well because and it hurts to admit this but when it comes to suncorp stadium tenants the raw at best are fifth or sixth you know you've got the two rugby league clubs uh, the reds and you know the other representative games that go with those two sports you've also got concerts and events this is I, I can only say it so many times but if you've been complaining and demanding that Raw come back to Suncorp Stadium this is the sort of uh, pitch that you're willing to accept now as much as I you know as happy as I was to keep going out to Redcliffe I'm so glad they're back at Suncorp as well because it just feels like an event venue but maybe football should have its own venue. Is that the solution that we all feel like is the is the way forward for this? Because I feel like the only way football is going to get an acceptable pitch is for it to have its own venue. And this isn't a Raw-specific thing either. This is a whole-of-the-game issue. And, you know, how many times have I said before, you know, football's greatest enemy is itself. They continue to find ways to shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to capitalising on events. Now, we've just had the World Cup. The Olympics are coming to Brisbane. How the hell can we not get a venue like Perry Park or a new venue somewhere else around Brisbane built up as a football venue? We've got the Raw. We've got Football Queensland that needs a venue for major events. And we're probably going to have, at the very least, a Brisbane second division team and I still think we're going to get a second Brisbane A-League team. So why can we not you know, pull our respective heads out and find a way to get something done? Adam? 
Well, look, I'm here to feel, feel like that, you know, I, I, I'm the one who shot Barbie's mother because... You, you Bambi, want, I you think, want, not Barbie. Bambi. I want to shoot Barbie anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. That's the greatest, that's the greatest cliche of all time. Yeah, I want to shoot Barbie and Bambi's mother. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, because I was, I was going to lead to the same point, but I think I've just, uh, I've just absolutely butchered that. Look, uh, the reality is... The reality is, is this, is that the reason why football anywhere in this country does not have, it, we, th- this country is a multi-sport, multi-use stadium venue. The only reason why Highmarsh Stadium, Cooper Stadium, is specific to football at the moment is because AFL can't be played on a rectangular pitch. And there's no desire for an Adelaide Super Rugby or NRL team, so they, they, they're more they're more lucky than 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 good. But every other every other city has to share with at least one more tenant. Unfortunately for Brisbane, we have to share with three, four if you count if you count sort of you know representative games or you know Magic Round as well. On top of that, but the problem is is that we're a small minority as football fans. You're very, very hard-pressed to get any government, even the pathetic one that we have in power up here in Queensland. And this is something that I don't think that the people who've been throwing the most stones down south seem to be all of a sudden become experts in what, how we live here in Queensland and think that, you know, we can just wave a magic wand, whinge and bitch and carry on, and, oh, we'll get, we'll get the pitch. It's not that simple. There is no way, and to be and to be real about this, and taking my football cap on and being a taxpayer, unfortunately, no government in their right mind at this stage can justify spending even 50 million when you've got other issues, when you've got housing crisis issues, when you have youth crime issues, when you have health issues. It just does not make sense to do that. It is political nightmare because while we all in attendance here, all our listeners would probably say, yeah, yay, we got we got home for football. I can guarantee there'll be even bigger majority saying what a waste of money. So we've got to make do what we've got to make do with. And and that leads to the point of thinking that as far as new stadiums go and all that, forget it. It ain't gonna happen. Maybe there is a solution with something that's pre existing. Yeah, well just on that as well, I feel like the you know the argument over useful spending of money they're rebuilding the Gabba for 2.7 billion dollars the burnabout cost a fraction of that how could they not like how could they not say all right well you know we'll spend 2.5 billion on uh on the Gabba put say 50 to 75 million towards a football stadium which i don't know might get used during the olympics and then you've still got 125 million left over to do some other stuff as well. Because government policy Scott? at the moment is blinkered because of the Olympics. Yeah, Simple as I that. know. I'm, I know. Yeah. But anyway, Scott, you've covered a lot of ground here. Look, the point around the A League is I do think we do need to move away from these bigger stadiums where possible into boutique venues that are situated in appropriate areas. That was the problem with Redcliffe; it was too far out. I did see the Allianz Stadium surface on Saturday night. It was also impacted from the recent concerts that they've had, although not to the level that Suncorp was on the Sunday. Newcastle's obviously heavily impacted 
as well with some motocross stuff or whatever it was, that game got moved. So that made some sense. But particularly with Brisbane, I, can, I, I agree with what you're saying, Adam, but the government has already proven that they're willing to spend money on particular sports where they feel it's appropriate. They, they funded quite heavily the netball facility to give them a home and a high-performance centre. They've funded Ballymore for the QRU and Rugby Australia. They've given some funding to the NRL clubs around the state for high-performance centres. They've given money to the Lions for a high-performance centre out Springfield. They, there's only one sport they haven't given money to. Why? You look at this. What You say, wanky with what we have. With what? Football Queensland doesn't have a facility like what Western Australia have just had built, like what Victoria have just had built, like what South Australia have just had built, like what New South Wales have had for a long time. We are a long way behind in infrastructure, Adam, and I don't think it's unreasonable to say that at this point in time, we've just had a World Cup and Olympics coming up, that there should be some tangible infrastructure provided for the sport, for a sport that is in both events here in Brisbane. I, I still think that Perry Park is a possibility. No one is saying you have to build what they build up in Townsville or what they built down at Rabina. A hybrid of something like what Hindmarsh is in Adelaide would work okay if you have the two sides and the southern end with a stand and it's somewhere between ten and 12,000. That's fine. It doesn't have to be 25,000 because you get more than 12,000 consistently then you can take big events to Suncorp. At the right time, when it's uh, when it's ready to be used, you can do that. You don't have to build a twenty thousand seat stadium. Ten to twelve is fine. Like what Dolphins is almost hybrid between Dolphins and Hindmarsh at Perry Park. I think is feasible. I know that there's issues with the residents in that part of the town, but I think you can do that. And again, it's the only sport the government are refusing to fund, and I don't think it's unreasonable to start saying why. Yeah, and that's where I, that's where I'm sort of coming back on this as well is you look at it and okay I I've never been a believer that the raw should have their own stadium because quite frankly it would be a horrific waste of money to give the raw a themselves a stadium for I want to say you know 26 odd ma- 13 home games a year yeah but, or 26 with women. yeah women and you know yeah that that just doesn't make sense but you say you've got 26 senior home games for the Raw men and women. You give it to Football Queensland and you've got, just off the top of my head, you're going to have NPL Grand Final Day, FQPL Grand Final Days. Uh, you're going to have the Kappa Pro Series Final there. You're going to have the new Queensland Cup for the men's and women's finals. Um, you could put the Champions League Finals FQPL there FQPL well. Champions League Final. That's another half dozen days of usage. Then you add in... Let's just say, for hypothetical sake, Brisbane United in the National Second Division. As far as we know, that's only going to be a men's thing, but that's going to still be another 10 to 12 days of usage. Add in Brisbane 2 for the A-League. All of a sudden, you're talking about a venue that's going to be in use for arguably every weekend of the year, and if not that, then um, pretty close to it. Um, so... You can also see other sports using it as well. You could see a NRL team, this is a third Brisbane whoa, whoa, team coming whoa, whoa, in, maybe no, no, no. playing Hang half on. of their the, games there as well. You've, you've, just, you've just shot your argument because first of all, you're saying it should be exclusive, then. I never said exclusive. Well, then, what, what's wrong with Suncorp then? <laughs> it's got 45 games a year. Well, and there could be more you coming. Can't, you can't have. 
your cake and eat it. Like I said, it, you said that you know, it needs to tie home. Then you're saying you want a another thing. It's it's one or the other. It's yeah. It's that. That's yeah. I, it's look. I get. I get what you're saying, and and I did say that probably Perry Park is probably the focus of where it needs to be. I, I just I just don't think. And I'm not saying that you guys and a lot of people in the know that 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 want that are want or expecting a brand new stadium. But there is a lot out there that that think that oh that. That blank checks are made, and you know that this is this is a game of FIFA. We can just build a new stadium anywhere. Yeah, and and that's all well and good, like saying you know we, we can get this mythical venue. But this is what the three of us were talking about uh, over Messenger last night as well. It's not like there's you know acres of space within ten to fifteen minutes of the CBD that could be built up and turned into this sort of venue, is it? Like I think some of the places that we came up with as well as my son is continuing to cry in the background despite my quick attempt to calm him down um but you think about it there like i'm just thinking off the top of my head some of the places we named were uh corinda near the golf course the pitch and putt um and whatnot as well so it's just like there's no perfect solution and that's why i honestly feel like perry park is the way forward I'm going to go uh, to you, Scott, and I'm just going to step out again very, very quickly to calm him down while you guys just keep talking. No, no problem. Adam and I'll keep arguing about this while you go look yeah. after young Tommy, so you can go do that. But I agree with you about Perry Park. I mean, don't tell me it's not possible, Adam. It's already zoned as a 5,000-seat stadium. It's already got a grandstand there. If you if you knock down that grandstand, rebuild it to to about the same capacity as well as a few more corporate facilities in it, then you build something similar on the other side and a small terraced stand on the southern end. I don't think that impinges, impinges on the residents in that part of the world all that much. It's not in, If you prevent cars from driving there and say it's not a drivable venue anymore, you have to use public transport to get there, I don't think it would be that big of an issue for them in the grand scheme of things. I don't think they would really notice it in terms of being much of a difference in terms of what they would see week to week in terms of usage and also one other thing on this I think what Vince said yesterday on social media Vince Regari the Sydney Sydney journalist who used to do some coverage up here in Brisbane saying Football Australia looking to really leverage the growth of the Nationals particularly the Matildas I think is a really beneficial thing because what's the one thing that this government you called it an average government earlier what's the one thing that's got them to the table about about football in the last last decade it's the women's national team at the World Cup when they were playing so well and caught the nation's attention. Well, how about you tell them those couple of friendlies that you got in the last couple of years, there'll be no more of those. No more friendlies, no more games up here until a workable solution is found, either to ensure that Suncorp Stadium's facility is up to standard or a, or an alternative venue is available. Because I think that's all we have to take. It's no good saying, oh, the Socceroos don't play here because they don't. That hasn't affected them. The one thing that have, that has hurt that they've banked on with football is the growth and the popularity of the women's national team and these international club friendlies. So cut those off and say you don't get any more of that stuff until you provide an appropriate facility. I think that's that's something you can do that just might get them to the table because when you start affecting their budget for events, you might get them to start thinking about it a little bit more seriously. 
I love that idea in theory, but the cynic in me says... It yeah. might not work, but I think it's something you can do. Yeah, for sure. All right, look, we could keep going on this for quite a while, and uh, if, you know, didn't want to go and be a parent in about 10 minutes, I probably would. But I am going to uh, sort of wrap this up with, first and foremost, I, d- I just want... Say, try and keep this to 30 seconds, but if it was up to you to build a football-specific stadium... What would you? Where would you build it, and what would it be in terms of capacity, tenancy, etc.? And uh, I'll give you guys a couple of minutes to think about it by leading off with mine. For me, it would be a redeveloped Perry Park. Um, you build up the west and the east, and something on that hill uh, along Folkestone Street, or is it Edmiston Street? The southern yeah, end. Yeah, the yeah. southern end. There we go. Um, along there, and set it up so that you can turn it into a let's say, 9,500 capacity stadium. And that number is quite important for me because it, then it stops a venue potentially being brought under the control of stadiums Queensland. It is run by football. It is managed by football. And you've got your tenants of Brisbane, any further A-League and NSD clubs and football Queensland. And the main reason I want it to be 9,500 is because if all goes well at any of the tenant clubs... That thing is getting sold out every single week. If the Raw start doing well, people are going to start coming back and actually getting a ticket is suddenly going to become a battle. I will bring up the Wanderers example again. The best thing that they did was having Parramatta Stadium sold out. They were playing in too small of a venue for the level of success they were having at the time. You keep it at nine and a half and you sell that damn thing out as much as you can because the best thing you can do is to create a demand. And that's just my marketing brain working there. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go second because mine's very similar to yours. I said the exact same thing. You build up, you knock down the current grandstand at Perry Park, you rebuild it to about the same capacity and have some corporate facilities, have a stand on the eastern side, and then you have one on the southern end. And I said somewhere between 10 and 12, but your argument for 9 to 9.5 might be more valid, but somewhere in that nine to 12,000 would be the sweet spot for how many, many I would aim for with that facility. Adam? Look, I, I tend to agree. I think for mine... It... You agree? You just rubbished it two minutes ago. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't rubbish it. I didn't rubbish it as far as a console. I said that as a solution. I, I'm just not... I'm just not positive that it, that it would happen. But if I was in charge... Yeah, I think Perry Park is probably the way to go. It ticks all the boxes. It's in it's inner city. It's 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 where, like I said, if if we had a fan base that actually would actually travel, then, then there's plenty of land out in these parts or on the other side of town. But I guess we're stuck. We're all pigeonholed. The fact that wherever the stadium has got to be, it's got to be within five k's of the CBD. So otherwise, if it wasn't the case, and you actually knew that you wouldn't, that basically half the fan base would walk out on the club. I would say, you know what, De- develop uh, actually develop places like Lions Stadium, you know, and and Spencer Park, and actually give those clubs, some of those clubs, you know, a facility that actually is capable of having A League football at, or second or national second division football at. But it seems that everything needs to be centralised. Perry Park is the only is the only sort of real answer. It's all that or Ballymore. They that they get they get they get phase two, but then Ballymore is the home of rugby. So in the end, all you're doing is you're giving them, 
you're giving them a, you know, a perfect boutique stadium, but nothing for football. So I guess, in, in essence, the only real... Like I said, you're not going to build a new stadium. So I think you've just got to work with what you've got. Perry Park is traditionally the home of soccer in this state. If, if you actually got a government, a state government, a council to agree on it, then I think Perry Park should be, should be the aim. Yep, and that's also where I think, you know, you've almost got to hope for something like Brisbane United in the NSD because they, they're they at least claiming to have the support for that from uh, the Lord Mayor Adrian Trinner. Whether or not that actually translates into tangible action, we'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, and I, I do just want to men- bring one thing up that you mentioned the other day, Adam, as well, is there's a state election coming up in 2025. That might be... State election is this time next year, and the council elections are in March. Okay, so there you go. So they're both in the next twelve months. That, I that just might think political pressure. It unfortunately, again, you know, we for what we do, we like to think that is a hot button issue. Unfortunately, it wouldn't even crack the top twenty in in the broader sense. So I, I think I think the best way to get is not through the ballot box because you know, if people want to basically run a platform on politically you're getting laughed at out of the building i think it's got to be done i think it's got to be brisbane raw it's got to be football queensland they've got to meet with people they know and it's got to be done you know behind the scenes trying to do it publicly not not in this state not in this time there are bigger issues and football just gets drowned out and lost in in, in the shuffle well there is one campaign that we will give a quick plug to as well chris is running the uh He's running a campaign uh, just for more football facilities in general. Um, there is a Discord server, which I'm not going to read out the uh, link for, but I will just say it can be found on our socials. We might also put it in the comments section of this episode as well. If you want to uh, check that out, it'll be available on the Raw Review on Facebook or at BNE Football on the Twitter X Elon Musk Vanity Project, whatever the hell you want to the, call it. The X. Yes. Um, now, we'll have to get through the Friday preview very, very quickly because we're already pretty much out of time here. Um, so, Scott, what are you looking for from the Raw taking on Western Sydney? Uh, on the field, I think how they replace Corey Brown and, F- and Flo Berenger if those two players are on, they'll be very, very interesting, not just in terms of who fills their spots, but how it reaugments things, particularly in the midfield. Obviously, we'll know it'll be like for like at left back, but. In the midfield, it'd be very interesting. I imagine Joe Coletti would be coming straight back in, but if it's he, Gamulka, and O'Shea, that's a very different midfield to Coletti slash Gamulka, O'Shea, and Berenguer. Could be very interesting to see how they do that. The other thing I'm very interested in is what sort of. We just spent 20 minutes talking about playing playing surfaces. What's it going to look like on on Sun on Friday night for people interstate listening to this? It has rained. This is we're recording this on Tuesday. It's basically rained. All day today, it rained yesterday. It's projected to rain tomorrow and into Thursday, and as well. So, if recovery for the field may not necessarily be be terrific. So, I'm very interested to see that, and also how the raw play in midfield if they have no flow. Uh, just on that as well, because that was kind of what I, I'm curious about as well. Is the quality of the pitch? Uh, so today, as we're recording at 7:05 p.m. Brisbane time, uh, according to the Bureau app. 14.2 mils of rain since 9am. 
the forecast for tomorrow, which is Wednesday, uh, somewhere between 2 and 6 mils of rain, nothing on Thursday, and Friday, since it is a raw home game day, um, 25% chance of at least 4 mils of rain with a possible storm. And a nice storm rolling in at about 6pm. Yep, exactly that. Adam, what are you looking for? I think, uh, yeah... Both both teams uh, won last last start. I think they'll be looking to continue continue on winning form. Uh, Raw won their first back to back games for over a year, so three straight would all be even bigger novelty uh, for them. And they they have they have got the wood on them already. Yeah, uh, on the Wanderers, they beat them in the uh, quarterfinals of the Australia Cup. In a very, very attacking, exciting game. I think this game's going to be a little bit more defensive. It's going to be a little bit more sort of, sort of, yeah, you know, an arm wrestle. And uh, yeah, look, this I think it's going to be a draw. Uh, you know, that, that's that's why I'm tipping. I think uh, both sides will, will try, but I think uh, this will probably end in a scored stalemate. Yep, that's pretty much what I'm uh, leaning towards as well. All right. I actually, in terms of a result, I actually think it might be a bit like 2013, 14, when the Raw played the Wanderers on a Friday night about this part of the season where the both sides were going pretty well, and this was the point in that season where the Raw accelerated away. I think it was Borussia scored early and Yeboa with that spectacular goal late. I'm thinking something similar on Friday night. Well, my, my uh, key stat for this one... The Wanderers, two goals conceded in the A-League all season so far. The Raw put four past them at Perry Park. Which trend will pop up? All right. That is going to be it for this eventful edition of the uh, Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jeff. And thanks to Adam for the line of the year. We'll put that in our um, intro introduction next week, right, James? I'll, I'll try and get onto it now. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, uh, thank you and good night. And uh, for our listeners, I will talk to you in about two weeks' time because I'm going on holidays. Enjoy your break, Adam. A well-deserved week off. And Scott and I will be back next week to review what was hopefully a successful uh, Raw game. In the meantime... Thank you very much for listening. Remember to check out that Discord server about ways to get involved with the hopeful redevelopment of football facilities. Otherwise, enjoy the football this weekend, and we'll talk to you later.